Everybody to the Unscripted Wrestling Podcast, the hottest wrestling podcast in the world. Uh, I'm your host Dan, and I'm here with the cast of Too Cool. We got Grandmaster Sexy and Scotty Too Hotty, Clintus and uh, Eric. How we doing? Good. How about yourself? Pretty good. And uh, I'm doing really well. And we have Rikishi here. Where my ass is the biggest out of all of ours. No, it's probably mine, but I'm the host, so. <laughs> I like your guys' week. It was good. It was a good week. We're excited to be here to bring the people more wrestling. And uh, the second half of our 1997 moments and matches uh, list, a top ten list. We did 11 through 5 last time. We're going to do 4 through 1 today. And uh, Eric took a lot of time curating this list. He did a very good job. No, uh, we didn't. uh, We're doing 5 through 1. Five through one? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, because we did ten through six last week. Okay. Thank. No, we okay. we we talked about number five already. We did? Yeah, that was Luger. Yeah, and it was Luger and um, Luger and Hogan from Monday Night Nitro. Yeah. All right. Never mind. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> so good. Uh. So, yeah, we're going to be here to bring part two. 97 was an interesting year, hot year for WCW. Uh, a very good transitioning period for WWE, and they started to become a big game in town again. And even, to ECW, like, you got to put them in the conversation because they started – I mean, they not necessarily hot, but – They did, but I think – I don't think they're on the second half of the list. Yeah. No, we what, talked what about I'm just last saying week. is that, like, you know, 97 was a good year for, for, for wrestling. wrestling. Uh, because for, wrestling, for was starting to get, wrestling was starting to get hot again. Yeah, there was multiple things doing it. Kind of like, I mean, I guess yeah. you can say that now because there's a lot of towns in game now again. Yeah. I still don't. Which, which I lost. Yeah, and like, that's great. I still don't think, I mean, like, ratings are very low and, like, it's not as hot as it was here, obviously. But that's no. also television and so many other factors. Yeah, but you still just, have, like, so many places, so many things that are on TV or that, like, you're able to watch. Like, yes, not a lot of people watch MLW or Impact mm-hmm. or Ring of Honor. Uh, but, you know, they still have television deals. You could still catch them on a TV basis. Yeah. Uh, you okay. know, WWE. And, but you can also watch highlights and clips on YouTube, you know. I yeah. see WWE's YouTube channel get millions and millions of views off yeah. of it. Well, yeah, because not everybody has the attention span yeah. to watch a two- to three-hour show. Yeah, especially a casual person. Uh, not even a, a casual, casual fan, person. but just a, a person that's like, oh, what's interesting tonight, you know? Yeah, because, you know, with the right Nobody has time to watch 20 hours of wrestling each week. Right. Yes. Like, with the writer's strike and all that, like, you might get more casual, casual fans now. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> 
Because <laughs> none of WWE's writers are on strike, are they? No. Which they should be because they all suck. They strike against themselves. Well, WWE is not a studio, I, I guess. Yeah. I'm sure they pay them. But, yeah, it's interesting, man. Uh, this was a crazy year. It'll be fun to talk about. And it's cool because we got four picks to go through here. And uh, we got two WCW and two WWF. I think that's a good highlight of the year because both of them were doing very good. I will WWE started doing good business towards the end, but both of them had very good content at the time. Right. And, and, WWE, because this is like the dawn of the attitude era. You can, if you want to make an argument for late 96, I guess you could try, but 97 is where it really started coming together. Well, and you also got to look, you know, we talk about TV, right? WWE had, uh, had raw, <laughs> And they had Shaq on Saturday night. Yeah. They had superstars at the beginning of the year, but then they turned superstars into a highlight show because they realized they could not film so much content. Like, it was either film Shaq on Saturday night or film superstars, and they went with Shaq on Saturday night instead. Uh, but then you had, like, all your like highlight shows, like Livewire, Superstars. They had another... Uh, highlight show at like 10 o'clock in the morning or something like that. Uh, I forgot what it was called, but it was uh, it was another, you know, package show where they talk about, you know, mostly uh, Raw and then like Shotgun or whatever. Uh, WCW, you had Nitro, you had Saturday Night, you had Worldwide, you had Pro, you had Main Event. So right there, that's <laughs> a shit ton of content in just between the two companies. Mm-hmm. Same thing you got now. You have Raw, SmackDown, NXT. You have Main Event, which can be seen on Peacock or whatever. At, you have NXT Level Up, which can also be seen on Peacock. Yes. Uh, AEW's got uh, Dynamite, Rampage, Collision. Mm-hmm. A lot of, lot of content. Mm-hmm. And I think like... You know, when people say, oh, less is more, less is more, yes and no, but, like, when you have a lot of people on the roster, which both companies, like, now and even back then did, oh, yeah, you have to find a way. Instead of having somebody work three shows, yeah, you have, okay, so back in 97, let's say Luger and uh, Luger and Flair just as an example, our main eventing, uh, our main eventing Nitro. Mm-hmm. Saturday night, you're going to get the Steiner Brothers Harlem Heat main event in that. On Pro, you're going to get a main yep. event of Ming versus Hacksaw and Duggan. On Worldwide, you're going to get the main event Dean Malenko Chris Jericho. Yeah. All right. That's how you, that's how you <laughs> differ. Yeah. So like the same person is not going to main event every show. You have a different set of people almost that work like the different set of shows. And I agree with that practice for the most part, because I think if you're going to do it, that's the way to do it. But my only issue with it is that it never works. Any of that, like the three show format never works. The having multiple, I think less is better. I think there should be multiple shows in town. I think there, an AW needs to exist. TNA needs to exist. MLW right. needs to, but like, I think if they all did one show and I get WWE at fucking a thousand people or whatever, but having the different brands and shit for one company has always hurt them. It's never done good business. 
and it never will because people want to see not everyone wants to see fucking you know Yoshitatsu or fucking and he hasn't been there for a long time but not a lot of people not everybody wants to see fucking like everybody you know yeah. it, it's great to have a lot of people on the rosters and shit but some people just want to see Roman Reigns and wants to see him once a week so let's fucking just do one yep. show a week and do him and do to the top guy. And I think Impact and MLW, because they follow that format. They have their weekly show. Yeah. And then that. I've always thought that's the way to do wrestling. Because especially when you're doing pay-per-views every month, you're already stretching yourself thin. So having different shows and trying to make all these other guys special is very hard. And those shows never do as well as the main show. Yeah. Thunder I, never did Nitro. I think. Though, like, if they did kind of like a format, like if they did like an hour show and it was uh, squash matches and then maybe one main event. It's good for the hardcore guys, regardless, yeah. because you're always going to want to say, oh, like, what is Johnny Gargano up to? What is this guy doing? Like, I want, you want to see everybody work. A lot of hardcore fans want to see everybody. So it works for that to have like a, a WCW Pro or a Sma- or anything like that. But if if there's a story, yes. But if there's not yeah. a story, then. But if you're just trying to to make three different shows and trying to make a star for each show and every and like that's very hard to do, man. Well, and, and I'll give you making one guy special is hard enough. I'll I'll give you one pure example of like a story, and then we can get to the list. Okay. Okay. Uh, back I think it was like May of '97. I saw it because there's like a compilation thing on YouTube from uh, May of '97. It was all the worldwide shows. Yes. And the main event of the Worldwide show was High Voltage versus Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. Now, they kind of had a feud, which we actually covered the blow-off on, uh, on our, I think, actually, our first edition of Wardrobes when they had the Philly Street Fight. Right. So, Tony Schiavone built it on Worldwide, the big return match, High Voltage versus Public Enemy. This was on a, a worldwide in May. Yeah. Which they taped back in February. The Philadelphia Street Fight was on April 14th. So they built it. They tried to tell the story about it, but. They fucked it up. It, well, not necessarily fucked it up, but it's like. They told it out of order for Yeah, they, they told it out of order because the blow off had already happened. Yeah, so. What are you building to? Yeah, You're building so, to something that already happened. It's stupid. Yeah. It's like putting out a TV show with the episodes out of order. Right, exactly. Which actually has happened before. Yeah. Like, it, it happened to Firefly, which is a critically acclaimed show, but, like, the way the episodes came out, people are like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. Uh, and another show that is actually very, uh, very uh, synonymous with their episodes being out of order is a show called California Dreams, which is technically a ripoff of Saved by the Bell. Okay. Uh, and they're like season five. Yeah. The one guy on there, Jake Summers, you know, biker, leather jacket and all that. His girlfriend at the beginning of the, at the season was this girl named Lorena. They broke up like a few episodes into the fifth season. A couple episodes go by, he's with the other girl that he's with. Yeah. But then in like episode like 12 or 13, he's back with Lorena. So like Stupid. they take it was taped earlier in the season, but they aired it out of order because they're dipshit. Yeah, and what and who <laughs> talks about California Dreams? You know, yeah, that shows yeah, you how well that method works. It doesn't. Right. You know, well, yeah, because like stories I said, are meant it, to be told in order. <laughs> yeah, like I said, like it's a it was a rip off kind of Saved by the Bell. Yeah. 
And uh, who knows if the episodes in order would have made it an iconic show. Who knows? But it didn't help not being that way. And it's the same thing for wrestling or anything. When you're telling a story, you want everyone to know what's going on throughout the whole story. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, a flashbacks yeah, and shit are fine, but, you know. All right, let's get into the list. Ten through six, we did la- or ten through five, we did last week. Number ten was uh, ECW's first pay-per-view, Barely Legal. Uh, number nine was Kurt Henning turning on the four horsemen at War Games. Which still pisses me off. Number eight was Bret Hart and Undertaker at uh, SummerSlam for the title. Very underrated match, by the way. And number six was Austin winning the Royal Rumble. What was number seven? Bret Hart, WCW debut. And number five was Luger and Hogan for the WCW Championship. August 4th, 97. Which we have talked about a total of like seven times on this show because we that's how we, we've covered it. But like, we like it. Well, because like, or not seven times, I'm kind of over-exaggerating, but like it's we covered fun. it when we did Luger's Top 10 Moments and Matches. I think that... Then we, watched the, then we watched the show. I think that's right up there with Shawn Michaels and Triple H fucking as our most revisited topics. It's got to <laughs> be. Uh, all right. Let's go to number four. Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio Jr. for the what's up for the oh no go ahead okay my bad I for the cruiser for the cruiserweight title at Halloween Havoc Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio this is a match mask versus uh, belt match right which by the way Rey was supposed to lose Bischoff wanted him to take the mask off but Rey Rey actually threatened to no show because he did not want to lose the mask good know your worth. And Eric's just like, exactly. Eddie, he's like, Ray, you're actually a good looking guy without the mask on. We need to show that, like, you have, that, you know, you're attractive and all that. And he's only like 22 at the time. Uh, and, and, you know, but like, he's, Ray, or, and Bischoff's just like, and Eddie's too hot. We can't take the belt off him. Well, and, like, let's be honest, Ray was right in the whole scenario. Yeah. Because what is one thing that's synonymous with that man? Not even just Lucha Libra as the mask. What do right. kids wear to the shows? The mask. What has never worked as an angle trying to take it off him? The mask. Yeah. And they've done it in extraordinary ways with yeah. talents like fucking Jericho and CM Punk. And it never works. And it always comes across as kind of cringy because you need him in the mask. Right. Like he does not. I, I don't think he's made an appearance with the mask off. Since 2001. Besides them taking him off, because like Jericho successfully did it. Yeah, well, what I mean, and they, but they won't show his face. Yeah, like he'll covered. cover his face. Yeah. But like the mask is, and it always, it's just synonymous with him. He is the mask almost. Like yeah. he fucking, people love that shit, especially kids. They love the, because it feels like a superhero. Anymore, and Lucha Libre as a whole, and it is a good, the, the mask versus match runs deep. The mass versus mass match in in uh, lucha libre culture. Right, that's way before WCW. So you can't be like yeah. Bischoff is trying to ruin heritage because he's not. It's a main. It's a thing. Right. Guerrero's been in one before and lost. They do the hair versus mass things all the time over there. Right. And 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 the thing about this was, you know, when Ray said, "Look, I don't want to do," it, and Bischoff caved in. I think I think Conan had a lot to do with that too because Conan was kind of that bridge between. Bischoff and the the Luchadors. Yeah. So Bischoff is like, all right, 
What? He was the voice. Yeah. He was their voice. He was their postman. Yeah. Right. So Bischoff's just like, all right, fine. We'll put the title on you, but it's only going to last a couple of weeks because i got to get the belt back on Eddie because Eddie's too hot. And Ray's just like, fine, just don't make me lose the match. And so it, it was kind of like one of those things. It, it works, though. Yeah. The, the thing is, is like even that backstage drama, I don't mind it because that made it what it was. Because that match is, isn't as good yeah. if he loses and gets the match, match stripped. So I'm glad he was a little bit of a diva. And him dropping the belt to Eddie or whoever afterwards was fine. He didn't need to hold the belt for a long time. But he got his moment. This match is fucking iconic. People still talk about it. Yeah, because th- it, this was basically w- when you have a main event of uh, Hogan and Piper in a cage and you have the, the trilogy matchup between Diamond Dallas Page and Macho Man, you have Flair and Henning. Uh, it's like, are really are people really going to talk about Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero? By the way, the answer is yes. Yeah, I mean, if you bring up this show, yeah, anybody's going to tell you what the match of the show was. Right. They're not going to talk about Piper and Hogan in the cage. That's for damn sure. No, not at all. No. no. This made the card, and it was... It was a good story. It was great wrestling. It was a perfect interpretation of like what those two guys could do and that they could do it at a high level and they could easily do it in the main event. Nobody saw yet. No one wanted to see it. That's fine. They both would go on to have their moments. But they showed that like we can put on a good story and also put on a really great fucking wrestling match all wrapped into one. All just in psychology. We don't even have to talk that much. Just let the psychology of the match tell the story. Right, and that's what made it like that's what makes this and Ray getting his big moment at the end, like all, first of all, all the flip and people might like if you're a fucking big young bucks guy or something, and you're a, or, or a big AEW fan and you see these motherfuckers slipping and flopping every fucking couple days, then you might go back to this match and be like, so what? Yeah. But for what this did for wrestling and like the style and it, they didn't make up this style. I'm not saying that, but pushing it to the forefront and making people go, oh, this shit's fucking cool. This match helped a lot with that. Right. Well, because you also had, at this time, there were, like, the Luchadors were kind of fun to watch, but they also weren't polished. Mm-hmm. So, like, you had guys like Hooven Tugor, and I love Hooven too, but he was very botchy. Okay, for a while. Yeah. The only person that can technically come close, well, there's two guys, actually, that could come close to how good, you know, Eddie and Ray could kind of fly around without botching every other move. Steve Malenko and who? Well, no, Malenko wasn't a flipper. No. Psychosis and Ultimo Dragon. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. Right now, like, those four luchadors, and then you could probably put Hoovy in the top five because Hoovy is after them. But those are the top five luchadors, like, in my opinion. Oh. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, Ultimo, I guess Ultimo has to – he's Japanese, but I guess you got to throw him in there, right? Yeah, oh, because he trained also in Mexico. Yeah, and he was – he's very lucha. What happened to Shiba at AEW? I fucking liked him at Double or Nothing. What yeah, happened? I, I, I don't know, but – but like so, like if you but if you take Dragon out because he's more of a Japanese wrestler, then it would go Eddie Ray Psychosis. 
in the Laparka. Well, it, and because but Laparka was different because Laparka was you know had the gimmick with the chair and all that, and, and it was huge and was huge. But Laparka <clears throat> set himself apart from the other luchador. I mean, and they all kind of tried like Ray set himself head above head head above shoulders above the rest, as did Eddie. And, and Psychosis was right there. Like, Psychosis really was kind of like the leader of the rest of them. Yeah. Because he was the best. I think he was the best worker, you know, that wasn't Eddie or Ray. But LaParka set himself aside because LaParka had a different character, had a different approach. Yes. Like, LaParka could work with the uh, with the bigger, like, middleweights or heavyweights. Because he was a middleweight. He was big. Yeah. But uh, this match, Cliff, talk about this match a little bit, Ray and Eddie. Clint, yeah. Oh, well, I was trying to get your opinion on Eddie and Ray. I got something wrapped up in like, <laughs> what did you guys thought about? So yeah, <laughs> but anyway, with that match, I think Ray and Eddie. I think going to Hollywood it had to be like one of the first cruiserweights matches I watched and actually really, really enjoyed from start to finish. I mean, it was vicious, and I think it, it was on par one of the best matches cruiserweights I've ever seen. <laughs> My first cruiserweight match, and I was like, wow, I didn't really, really think about. It. I thought the light heavyweights at the time was all right back in the U.S., but when I started, Witness Ray and Eddie, I said, these guys can prove that they can do anything just as good or even better than what the big guys do in basic wrestling. And it really got me into, like, the high flyings and the different style of wrestling, which they uh, interpreted in that match. Right. And and that's the funny thing, too. Like, with this with this match, you know... This was like one of the times, because Malenko was usually the one that could really put the cruiserweights in like that prime spot or whatever, right? Yeah, but like you said earlier, he wasn't a flipper. Yeah. You had two guys flying around, dude. And he's usually like the guy grounding the match, right? Right. The, but the, this was so cutting edge for what it was. And like and like Clint said, it's one of the best cruiserweight matches to this day. Yeah. And... These two just, they put on something that it's like you can tell they really wanted it. I, I think, like, because a lot of people always hold in high regard Ray, or Ray's match at Bash at the Beach 96 with Psychosis. Because mm-hmm. that was, like, one of the hottest openers the company had ever had. And yes. But then, like, so that was, like, always how they set the bar. And then, like, you know, Ray's match with Dean or whatever. But Ray and Psychosis had kind of that flippy flippy deal. This one, Ray and Eddie surpassed that because obviously Eddie's a you know head above shoulders better worker than Psychosis, even though Psychosis is pretty good himself. Yeah. Oh, close to a five star match. Yeah. And these guys like love each other, and the chemistry is just there. Right. Like, we talk about when you love the guy you're working with, and we usually use that as a drag on Hunter, but, like, at any fucking business or whatever, unless it gets distracting, obviously, when you're 
working with somebody that you're really fond of, usually magic can happen. Right. Sometimes it can, but like, like with with uh, Edge and Christian maybe, but with these two, it's like they were gonna put on the best match of the show, and whenever they go out there, that's their mindset. And I've never seen a bad match between the two. There, I don't think there ever has been a bad match between the two. I love their whole rivalry. I even love the fucking cringy poppy shit. I love yeah. all of it. So, and this was the first one, or no? Uh, this was. I mean, this was their first one they did on pay per view. They had a couple of nitro matches. Okay. Right. But this was probably their best match. Yeah. I would agree with you, Eric. All right. Number three, we have the rivalry that took over 1997, which is Sting and Hogan in the NWO, but basically the whole storyline. And Eric, this is a big one that you put on the list, and I agree with you, but why don't you tell the, the good people why you think this deserves to be here? But because mostly every week, this the story was surround, surrounded with Hogan and Sting. When is Sting going to come back? Maybe not beginning of the year, if I remember correctly, but at least towards like the, in the summer, it yeah. was like every week. When is when is Sting going to come back? It, even in August, they tried to give him a contract and give him a match against um, Mr. Perfect, and he t- turned it down. And he went to speak to management or anybody for a week, for almost a year, storyline-wise. And then finally, the match happened, and finally he, he agreed Hogan versus Sting would happen at Starcade. It was a slow build to Starcade, and it wasn't a perfect storyline, but it told what was the main, the two biggest stars in WCW at the time. So, right. so my question, my question is this. Is this like when Sting went from, like, the, I guess the American Sting or what do you call it, Surfer Sting, to the black and white Vinciani Sting? Is this what we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Just after that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's all a part of it. So, like, here, here's my thing. I think some parts of the buildup were better than others. Like, you know, and I've talked about, like, when Sting firmly said that he was part of WC, or not said, because he didn't talk, but when he jumped the NWO at that at Uncensored 97 and let everybody know that, hey, I'm back with WCW, that was a big moment. When he dropped Bischoff for the first of, like, four or five times, that was a big moment because that was a key part of the story. When he, uh, you know, when he put the crow down in the middle of the ring while they were celebrating the NWO's birthday or whatever. Yeah. To basically, and but then, like, you know, nobody thought that he was, even though, like, for weeks, uh, like, everybody knew that he wanted Hogan, but J.J. Dillon wanted him to talk. And J.J. Dillon and Gene Okerlund, because Gene Okerlund had to play stupid. Mm-hmm. They're like, Sting, you need to talk. We don't know what you need. And you have Mike Tanay, Bobby Heenan, and Tony Schiavone in the background saying, 
They he wants Hogan. Yeah. You fucking moron. Yeah. That's why, like, if we if we okay. ever see JJ Dillon at a convention, you need to slap the shit out of him okay. and tell him that he was a fucking moron in '97. Uh, but like, like that's that stuff was kind of dumb. But it's just like you know when they finally put the crow, uh, when they he flew the crow down to the ring and the crow almost actually took Bischoff's finger off. Yeah, all the extra shit was stupid in ways. A lot of the JJ Bischoff stuff. Yeah, a lot, and some weeks yeah. felt very filler. Like like when it's like when they attack Sting or Sting attacks WCW guys, the fake Sting. And like when we watched that episode, I was like, this is filler NWO bullshit. Yeah. And it's Ric Flair trying to fucking and Bischoff arguing who gets to like close out the show by talking. Yeah. And Flair's like, yeah, let me talk. And he's like, yeah. like, it's like, this is fucking stupid. But then there's like things we've watched where like, Hogan and Bischoff are in the ring demanding we want Sting, we want Sting or whatever. And then he comes down like from the rafters and he and like, you got him! And it's like, those are huge moments. Yeah. So this build, it is one of the best long-term storytelling year builds of all time. It beats Cena Rock. It beats it over the fucking head. Yes. Right. It, it beats a lot of those, like when they've tried it, and WWE has tried it a lot lately. That's why Roman Reigns has been champion since I was born in 1997. <laughs> Joking, obviously. Yeah. But uh, it feels like it. Long-term storytelling is kind of something they've kind of tried to go back to. This is one of the best depictions of it because you had a character yeah. who was the face of what this brand used to be, and it wasn't working. So now you have this new thing that's making it cool again, but is aggressively anti what he was. So he changes his image and becomes this dark thing, and it's supposed to represent the sadness and mourning for WCW. And he rallies up and becomes the company guy they need and wins in the end. Me even just saying that is a story. That is a well-told, thought-out story. Yeah. For WCW, which is a company known for, like, last minute, like, oh, shit, have this guy running. Like, oh, it doesn't need to make fucking sense. That is a story that makes sense all the way to the end. And I know what happened at Starcade, and we've talked about it yeah. enough. But fucking even that and him getting his moment, like, if you take out the count shit, like, that is a perfectly well-told story. Throughout that year. Well, exactly. the funny thing about this, too, is, like, you know, you even talk about you know, how, like, you know, the last minute shit. When you have, like, a company that's on a basis that, like, they have uh, a match written down there, like, all right, we need to send fucking Macho Man out there. Mm-hmm. All right, who the fuck do we send him out against? And then you see Booker T walking down a hallway. And then you're like, fuck, go out and wrestle Randy Savage. And shit like that. Like, you know how, and they used to do that to Sting a lot, too. Like, Sting would be going out and wrestling, you know, fucking Kurosawa or fucking Pitbull Pitman or whatever the fuck. Like, again, like, and it didn't have to make sense. It was just, we got 10 minutes to fill, go fill it. This is one of those times where it's just like, okay, we're telling a story here that's making sense. So we don't even know if we're doing it right because we have never made sense. Yes, we've barely made dollars. So, like, but they told it, they told it very well. And the thing is, is that like when they uh, when they would take like breaks in between, which if you tell a story for fifty two straight weeks, it's going to get boring after like week twenty. 
And the fact that they yeah. kept this fresh for so long is very impressive. Yeah. It means that they actually kind of knew what the hell they were doing. Yes. Yes. It's probably one of the best storylines in WWE. Yeah. Maybe of all time, like in both companies. I think it should at least be in a top ten somewhere. Because it, it's fucking... Yes. It transcended. It was all the business was for like because this WCW is number one this year. Yeah, the WWE is doing fundamental fundamental things, and but this is part of the eighty three weeks where they're beating the shit out of them. So all kids are going to school and talking about and shit, and all people know about right now is fucking Hogan and Sting. They don't even give it. I mean, and the cruiserweights and shit's cool to watch, but like it's Hogan and Sting. So yeah, what did Sting and Hogan do this week? Yeah, exactly. That that's the conversation at the water cooler. So definitely deserves to be here. All right, let's go to WWE for number two. We're racing along through here. We have one of the biggest, most talked about things ever. And this is something that people were definitely talking about. The Montreal screw job at Survivor Series with HBK and Bret Hart. All right. And you know we've covered it multiple times. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, and everybody's covered it multiple times. Yes. To where it's just like, I think everybody gets tired of talking about it. Yeah. Basically, it was one of the most, the biggest moments of the year because it's just like, now wrestling is real. Yeah. It's one of the biggest moments of all time. Yeah. It, because it, it shit got real. And everybody can point the blame at whoever they want. Uh, I mean... I personally think, like, Bret Hart was pretty much, he didn't want to drop the belt to Shawn Michaels because Shawn Michaels said he would never put Bret Hart over. Mm -hmm. The easiest answer to that is, okay, he doesn't have to put Bret over in a title match, but you have a group called the Generation X. You have a partner named Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Book the two of them in a tag match against Bret and either Bret and Owen or Bret and Davey Boy and even make it a fucking DQ finish or some shit. Brett goes over. I think Brett would have accepted that, though. I feel that he still would have been slighted. I well, maybe not as much. I, I think it would have softened it up a little bit to where he'd be like, "All right, I'll do it." Because we'll be like, "All right, look, if we can get you over in a tag match, even if it's just like you know, but you get a victory over Sean, will you please do the fucking finish?" Like it, it's as easy as that. And then if Sean is just like, "Well, I don't want to do it like this." Be like, dude, this is the only way we can get Brett to agree to be, to lose to you at Survivor Series. Play fucking ball. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. It, but it's because nobody could police the two of them. Well, it was just in, in any business, but especially this one where you're in front of people all the time, egos can play a fucking – like this could have easily happened with Macho and Hogan. Yeah. That's what we've talked about. <coughs> if Macho got – you know, if Macho got so like, it, it would have been deserved. Also knew how to do business. He did. It would have been deserved, but it's like this is what happens when you have really big egos trying to work with each other. Right. It's not like MMA where it's like, all right, put exactly. those two motherfuckers in a cage and let them settle it. No, they have to work together and tell a story still, right. even though they hate each other. Well, and, and here's the thing: like you brought up Macho Man, they had a clash of champions in January of '96. It was a tag match: Ric Flair and the Giant versus Hogan and Savage. Hogan wanted the finish to be him beating Flair with a leg drop. Flair had just dropped the title to Savage the night before. Flair said to Bischoff, if we go through with this finish, I'm out of here. I'm done. 
Hogan did not want to do the job. You can't beat the fucking giant clean. So Savage is just like, oh, yeah, you know, I had my moment last night, brother, so pin me tonight. <clears throat> That's Savage doing business. Yeah. So, like, but, so, like, those guys could do business. Brett and Sean, I think, hated each other so much at that point. Yeah. None of them wanted to do business. Like, Brett would, Brett would say, just so you know, Sean, I know what's best for business. <laughs> like, if I have to put you over, I'll put you over. Yeah. That was complete bullshit. He wanted, he wanted Sean to kiss his ass. Sean had no intention on kissing his ass. Yeah, it's one of those situations that both guys were in the wrong. Yeah. And... Brad will always tell the story to where he never was, and Sean is a complete scumbag. And there's a lot of truth to that, but Brett was also in the wrong for a lot, for having a big ego and being a deep. When you have, you're leaving the company, what they tell you, but you're still employed. Yeah. While you are employed, you do your fucking job and you listen to your boss. That is how companies work. And when you have the guy on the other side who was already involved in a fucking lawsuit because the last champion he had come over from the WWF, while that person was still champion, Medusa, and she threw the belt in the fucking trash can, Bischoff was up to his ass in litigation. Yeah. So now, and you're going to have fucking Bret Hart come in with, with their most prized title? Well, that's what he wanted anyway. He didn't give a fuck, though. He was, controversy creates cash. Well, no, Bischoff, like, if you listen to Bischoff, Bischoff said, drop the fucking title. I'm, I'm up sure to my ass in litigation. Again, this is what he said. Yeah. I'm up to my ass in litigation already because I had Medusa do this. I don't want this again. Do what you're told. Drop the goddamn title. And listen, I love the bish. And I'd like to say that everything he says is gospel, but he Oh, has, no, I'm pretty – there's about 50 people that call bullshit on it. He's been known to stretch the truth sometimes in the past. <laughs> including Conrad. And there's just something that I can see – maybe he did say that, but I could also see, like, in the meetings or on the phone, like, but it would be cool if you <laughs> – like, I could just see him, like, well, we <laughs> show that old fucker. Like, Vince would fucking shit his pants, wouldn't he? Like, I can see him at least throwing the scenario out there. Right. But, I, again, I, I'm saying what, like, yeah. he was saying. Because he said it on Dark Side of the Ring. He said it on the Monday Night Wars uh, episode of Legends of Wrestling. So, like, he has, quote, unquote, said that he told Brett, and that's do good. what they told you to do. And there's probably truth to that. I just, I can see, like, a, an alternate world where he was also, like, yeah, do all that. And then, like, ah. <laughs> but, like, if you think about it, you know, I could, I could just see that with him. But everybody will never know the truth. We'll never know the truth. That's all speculation on my part. But everybody was in the wrong here, except for poor old Hebner that just got thrown into something. Uh, The one guy that I can I can't blame throughout this whole thing, and I've tried, is Vince McMahon, (laughs) because he was losing control of his company. He was losing control of his guys, and everyone was being an ego and running the asylum and telling him what. And he put his foot down, and he said, no, motherfuckers, we're doing what I want. This is my company, and this is what we're going to do. Well, and here's the thing. Here's the only thing I blame him for, and and this time I blame him for a lot of other things. But he gives Brett a lifetime contract a year before. Yeah. But it's one of those things to where, like, he – it's almost like a tax write-off, right? Yeah. Where it's just like I could save money if he's not here, so he tells Brett get get the contract from WCW. Like I can't afford to pay you anymore. 
Brett thought it was a bunch of bullshit because then, you know, two months later they bring in Tyson. Yeah. But it's also Vince kind of treating it as a tax write-off. It's just like, I want to go a different direction. Vince did Brett, not give a fuck about Bret Hart anymore, though. Well, that's what I'm saying. He yeah, wanted to go right. a different direction. Yeah, Vince didn't care. That is what it comes down to. Yeah. You're right. He deserves the blame in that to where he's like, Brett's not going to be a star for me. Yeah. And he, he kind of saw the way that Brett's career went, which sucks, but... Yeah. So, like, it, it's one of those things to where it's just like, and he might have been in the wrong at the time by saying, oh, you know, fuck Bret Hart, I got to get him out of here. Yeah. But it's also, Brett may not have fit into that attitude era. So, instead of, you know, doing the deal where it's just like, okay, you know, we'll keep him around, we'll find a spot for him, it's, I need the money back that I'm supposed to pay you, or I want to free that up so I can use it for other things. And uh, so, like, when he when he does all that, it basically should be, all right, you got to do this my way. The problem yeah. is they didn't want to do <coughs> the inmates were so used to running the asylum to where it's just like, they don't give a fuck what he says. If only they were like that now and they could just tell him to go fuck himself and then unplug his pacemaker. Yeah. But, you know, back then it was, because Vince McMahon was still respected at that time. Well, I don't, he should be respected because he still was a respectable person. I don't necessarily blame him because you're going with the guy that you're keeping. Yeah. You don't side with the guy that's leaving, even though you're making him leave. Well, he also thought that the future was in Michaels and the past was in Hart. And he was right on one of those things and wrong on the other. Because the future wasn't really with Shawn Michaels anymore either. No, it was, more, it was more with Steve Austin. But... Who knows if the Attitude Era would have been as prominent as it was if Bret Hart stuck around. Right. Maybe it was a good move. The way it worked out sucks for Bret Hart, and it's great for the WWE, because all they got was publicity from it. And Vince turned it into the best heel character known to man. And they they reacted the complete right way, and WCW, all they could do was crack a, a couple jokes here and there and bring him in in a stupid role. Right. So that is – it's a big moment because – it shows you how the shift is going to happen because the shift hasn't happened yet. WCW is number one, but with the way both companies handled this, you know, who's going to be number one in a couple of years because one had an expert strategy to like turning, turn it into entertainment. And the other one said, Ooh, we got Bret Hart. Fuck. We fucked this. Yay. And did not do anything with it. Right. Well, and if you listen to Brett, Brett's like, Oh, I had to take six weeks off because I broke my knuckle. Yes. And that's true. But just to finish my last point, and Bischoff's stupid for thinking, oh, we need him to fucking carry thunder. That was never a good plan. Oh, we need more wrestlers, and we need to we need to carry thunder. That's why we're bringing Bret Hart in. He can be the face of thunder, dude. That was never gonna work. He could fight the NWO. He could do all the things. He could put on good matches with Flair, whatever. But just to be the face of thunder, and like like that's another to the multiple shows thing. Why that was never gonna work. Right. You couldn't have a face of Thunder because no one gave a fuck about Thunder. They were watching Nitro. Well, yeah, nobody well, nobody wanted Thunder. Yeah. So it's just everything about WCW's side of that was handled wrong, and everything about WWE's 
besides actually screwing him, because that's not, you can't say that's handled right. But the way they acted afterwards was, was brilliant, and turning it into yeah. a fucking huge storyline. Yeah, and a, huge... A, a, a tremendous character, by the way. Yeah. So, it's, but, and it's also, the reason that this is such a big deal and people still talk about it is that chaos will always be the best form of entertainment that people want to watch. People are always going to want to watch the train wreck. The thing about wrestling is that it's at its best when it's a well-oiled machine, but people don't always want to see a well-oiled machine. Right. People want to see shit get fucked up. People want to see real life. This was real life. This was fucking people pissed off. This was a melting... Like, you look at the ring, just watch Survivor Series 97 and look at everything that's happening in the ring after that bell goes off, and it's just fucking chaos. I mean, you know the big things of him spitting on Vince and doing the WCW in there, but just the way Brett's face is, like, hey, he's like, what the fuck just happened? Like, did like just his face recollecting what's going on and, like, realizing, like, oh, my God, like, like everything I put my heart into. Like, like it just the destruction on his face and, like, Sean being immature and getting out. Like, everything about it is very entertaining. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, is that, like, if, if you listen to other people's accounts of it, Undertaker goes back, gets Undertaker goes and checks on Brett along uh-huh. with like three or four other people. Yes. And they're like, are you all right? And he goes, no, I'm not. Like, I want to know who was in on it. And Undertaker was pissed off because Undertaker sat at Gorilla next to Bruce because he wanted to make sure that things were going to go down the way they were supposed to go down. Yeah. But then because they were filming that stupid wrestling with shadows documentary because they were coming through. They could not because Undertaker wasn't at, wasn't wrestling at Survivor Series. So he was not in his ring gear. He was not dressed as the Undertaker. He was dressed as Mark Calloway. Yeah. So Bruce told Undertaker, we can't have you shot in this light. We have to be in character. You need to go. So Undertaker's just like, it's kind of weird. He always lets me sit at Gorilla. What the fuck? So he goes in Vince's office and watches it. He sees what happens because, you know, Vince leaves his office to go to ringside. Undertaker sitting in Vince's office by himself watches what's going on. First thing Undertaker wants to do is go rip Bruce Pritchard's head off because he's like, that fat fucker sent me away. So I could not go out there and get involved. So then everybody comes back and then, but Bruce had no idea. Well, according to Bruce, he had no idea. He thought Undertaker knew because Undertaker went at Bruce and was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And Bruce is like, well, you just came out of Vince's office. I just say, what the fuck to you? And he looked at Bruce and said, you're up Vince's ass more than I am. Yeah. So, and you're one of his stooges. So you knew. Yeah. I didn't know. So anyway, he goes to Brett, says, hey, is everything all right? He goes, no. Undertaker goes to Vince and says, you need to go talk to Brett right now. He goes, well, does Brett want to talk to me? He goes, no, but you need to go talk to him right now. You need to try to smooth it out. And if you get your ass kicked, oh, well. Yeah. He goes, and I'm going to guard the door to make sure no one comes in to help you. And so they go in. Vince or Brett's in his locker room. He's you know, getting ready to go in the shower. He goes, I'm going to go take a shower. If you're still here, when I get out of the shower, I'm knocking you out. And uh, Shane's just like, well, Brett, calm down. He goes, shut up, Shane. 
I'm knocking your old man out. Sean's trying to get the hell. Sean got the hell out of there. Yeah, that's fine. Well, because the cool thing about that wrestling sh- with shadows thing is that it shows the the initial confrontation with Sean and Brett. Yeah. When Brett's like, like Sean, are you sh- like, tell me the truth right now, dude. Like you can tell he's like, like I need the truth. Tell me. And Sean's like, dude, I swear to fucking God, I swear to God. Like, and he's obviously lying. And it's funny knowing what we know now. Well, and then but, Brett's wife was also confronting Hunter. Yeah. Because she's just like Hunter. Like he goes, I had no idea. He goes, bullshit, Hunter. You're up Sean's ass. You're up Vince's ass. I know you had something to do with it. Yeah. And, and he did. They were all lying. Yeah. So like, and it's like, and you would almost think at that point you're like, oh my God, Bret Hart's wife is going to beat the shit out of Triple H. That would have been funny. Uh <laughs> but then. Brett comes out. You had the Hart Foundation out there. I don't even think Sean and Hunter. Sean and Hunter were told to leave the building. They left the building. So you had the Hart Foundation. Uh, you had uh, Vince, Shane, Bruce, uh, Patterson, Briscoe, Vince Russo, Jr., uh, Jerry Lawler, Undertaker, Brian Adams, Vader, Ken Shamrock. All in that room. Like, okay. And, you know, the the Undertaker, Vader, Brian Adams, Shamrock, and whoever else I may have just named, they were all basically there because they were all kind of supporting Brett. And they, they were also, like, going to be like, they knew they were going to have to pull Brett off of it. Well, yeah, and he, Vince knew that. Vince went in the room knowing he was going to get hit. Yeah. Everybody went in the room knew knew Vince was gonna get hit. And Undertaker looked at Brett and said, "Take one shot, just take one," and that's it. And he did. And he did. And he broke his fucking hand. And that sucks. That that's like what fucking derailed the WCW. Well, that's what he said. I mean, yeah. he, he, you can't work with a broken knuckle. Yeah. Like, and he's a grappler though. No, he's not. That that would be hard. I mean, and so I can kind of understand it, but then, like, afterwards, because then you got to remember, too, the aftermath, guys did not want to go to, like, Mick Foley skipped Ottawa the next night. Yeah. And then, like, a lot of guys were calling, giving their notices, saying, fuck this, we're done. And then JR's just like, JR calls Vince and says, look, we're we're not going to have a TV show, because I got... Half the fucking roster just called me and said they're not coming in. He goes, call them all back. Say we're going to have a talent meeting uh, beforehand. Mick's the only one that didn't go. Uh, But they all went, and uh, he talked to Undertaker first. He said, Mark, you have to understand why I did what I did. He goes, Brett gave you a lot of service. or Brett had a lot of years of service. And he goes, he was going to walk off with our title. Uh so Undertaker talked to the guys first and said, look, I don't like what he did either, but he is the boss. It's, it's, that was his title. Brett was leaving. Unfortunately, we have to accept it. And, like, can you really blame – and that's the thing. Everybody's at fault, but can you really blame anybody? Because Vince saw the Medusa shit. Yeah. They literally saw somebody leave with the belt in good favor with them and fuck them over. So who's no Vince is not in the wrong for wanting his belt back. Yeah. So everybody, nobody is innocent, except for 
you had your loyal soldier Undertaker trying to keep the peace, which I don't even know why. And I still don't think Earl Hebner, Earl Hebner was just doing his fucking job. He didn't deserve anything. He didn't, yeah. like, I'm sure he did know the finish right before, and he might have, like, lied to Brett. But, like, what the fuck is he supposed to do? What is little Earl Hebner supposed to fucking do? Brett Hart's not going to pay Earl Hebner's bills. Yeah, and he's doing his fucking job. He's got to do what his boss says. So if the boss says, go fucking do this count and don't say a fucking word, that's what Earl has to do. So I'll never blame him. And Brett never really blamed him. He did a little yeah. bit, but he didn't totally. Well, in that video that we did, or that uh, that Brett did for uh, um, a K&S WrestleFest, you know, where we had the autograph signed for mom. Yeah. Like... Earl, they did an interview with Earl, like, or signing with Earl, like, a couple weeks prior, and Earl said something or whatever, and Brett just basically said, he was like, look, Earl was a coward that night, but he had no choice but to be a coward. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, your fucking job's getting threatened, and you can't back up a guy that's going to be fucking leaving anyway. Mm-hmm. And, like, Earl exactly. wasn't Earl yet, either. Yeah, he wasn't like the fucking like loved being he is now. Yeah, by wrestling fans, like he was just a referee. And by the way, like this actually, like it wasn't that long after this, Earl had a heart attack. Yeah. So like a lot of this pressure oh. was on him. It was so so like I remember watching the Dark Side of the Ring. He's like, these last fifteen years have been the shits, and it's like, oh poor Earl. Yeah. But you shouldn't have to carry all that, bro. You're just doing your fucking job. And I love Earl. Awesome. Me too. It was a pleasure meeting. Yeah. But uh, all right. Let's move on. <clears throat> Number one drum roll. Uh, I'm gonna start with Clinton on this one. We got Steve Austin and Bret Hart from WrestleMania 13, the submission match. Yeah, I think. You know what? I love the Bret Hart and Stone Cold feud. I think they have to be like the best match to Shawn Michaels and, and and Bret Hart. Because I think watching Austin, I think Austin hated, even though Michaels <laughs> and Bret was more of real life hate, Austin, I really thought it was on the same level, but even though you knew behind the scenes you guys had respect for each other, but you will never have guessed that in the ring. <laughs> yeah. And I think yep. that's what made their matches really, really better than expected because you really felt like this is like Brad has two main enemies in business and Shawn Michaels and Stone Cold Steve Austin, especially the way Austin went after Bret Hart. The hatred yeah. and the match was just amazing. And having Austin just pass out and not tap out, it really says something then I think covers both sides. I mean, yes, you give Brett a win, but Austin never really lost. He passed out. Exactly. And that's what makes – and the thing is, is not only in just like – wrestling, but in all of uh, sports or entertainment or whatever, there's iconic imagery, right? And that's what really brings you to a moment, is this one scene. Like, if it's Nick Foles doing the Philly special in the Super Bowl, or if it's fucking, like, just, like, certain, like, 
maybe a certain knockout and like Jorge Masvidal doing the the knee to Ben Askren, right? Right. Or just like just certain moments or just like certain pictures, like when that knee connects his head. Steve Austin fucking covered in blood, writhing in pain in the sharpshooter and not giving up and just sitting there shaking his head and fucking bleeding and his face and his mouth open. Like that is a picture in everybody's mind that'll never go away. And that's what makes this so fucking special. And some people just look to that and I'm not trying yeah. to just overshare. I'm not trying to just say that's the only, cause that's not the only big moment in the match. The match is fucking amazing, but there's something yeah. about that image that's going to stay with people. And I think that's why this is so iconic, but also you have, two different styles. You got a brawler versus like a grappler, like real, like technical wrestler. You have fucking like a, a, a brash personality versus kind of a good, a good boy. Like there's just so many things going into this that makes it what it is. And it is probably the best match of the year. It definitely is the best match of the year because like they, uh, it, it was such a, a big feud and this was the feud that really got, that really was getting stone cold to be stone cold. Yeah. Now they did not think that he was going to be as beloved as he was going to be. Nobody could have pictured that, especially him. Like Jim Ross used to go up to him and be like, you know, you're going to make one hell of a hero. Fuck you, Jr. I ain't going to be no goddamn. <laughs> Guess what? He was. Yeah. Yep. And this this match started that because Steve Austin never, never quit. And when he got the shit beat out of it, and then afterwards, like, when they did the whole thing, he's like, I'm not done with Bret Hart yet. And it was, was, I mean, this match was, for a WrestleMania that really was not iconic. This is iconic. Yeah. Eric, what do you think of this one? You put it at number one. This whole this whole storyline started at Rumble when um, Bret Hart was eliminated by Stone Cold after he came back in the ring. Supposedly he got he was eliminated, but referees didn't see it. And I started the ball roll for the feud, and it led up to WrestleMania, and then after WrestleMania. And that image, as you said, it just just sticks in your head to this day. And this was probably this or our Ray and uh, Eddie was the best match of the year. This was the feud of the year by voted by um. Wait, not Zerber. So this right. was voted as the feud of the year '97. So. One of the, another reason why I put it at number one too. Right, and it should be at number one, I think. Yeah. I, I was going back and forth between this and Montreal Screwdrop, but I didn't want the Montreal Screwdrop to be number one because it's kind of kind of negative in a way. So. Yeah, and. and... It is negative, and this is more of a positive because a lot more positive stuff came out of this. Exactly. So no, I think that this, I think that this was the right number one. 
I agree. Thank you. It was perfect and it was a great list. Uh, this was our 1997 Top Gun Matches and Moments. You did a good job, Eric. I'm excited to come back and, and do another year. This is a great idea. And uh, check out all our other shit. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to announce what I think we should do for next week's show? Sure. WWF fully loaded 1998. Let's do it. Austin, Austin and Undertaker cool. versus Kane and Mankind for the tag titles. Triple H and Rock, two out of three falls with a 30-minute time limit. Sable oh, yeah. and Jacqueline in a bikini contest. Oh, God. Yo, oh, yo. yeah. Sounds good, boys. This is another good one. Yep. And I will see everybody next time. There's no yeah. show tomorrow. So, oh. is why we're doing it tonight. Yeah. And you said 98, right? Uh, yep. Yeah, fully 98. loaded 98. All right. I'll probably watch it tonight. I'll probably watch it tonight. You know what? I have been watching every Raw since 93, episode Raw, and right now I'm really in going into the Rumble 2017 right now. I watch every pay-per-view from first Raw all the way up to where we're at now. Five years behind where we're at now. Huh? Our man's on a binge. A lot of wrestling. No, I don't want to watch the air. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see everybody uh-huh. next time. <laughs> Later, fellas. Later. Have a good Later. weekend. You too. Behold the king. The king of kings. On your knees, dog. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.